How's everybody? So, good to see you. Good to see you. Okay. This is halfway inspired by my wife as I was, you know, coming here. I texted her. I said, Q&A at the last minute. What do you think? She goes, go with your gut. So, my gut said Q&A. <laughs> so, that's a very spiritual principle, as you can tell. Uh, <laughs> so, what does that mean? Questions uh, are for the next, what, 40 minutes that we have. Just questions about anything, obviously not intentionally to, you know, stump me. But just, that's very easy to do. But just questions about the church, uh, theology, First Peter, anything in your life application, just what's going on in the world. I think sometimes it's helpful to do this. So, um, here we go. But it's good to see you both. Diane and Noble are here from Las Vegas. That's so why he's still, he's got a t-shirt on with a full deck of cards. That comes from his Las Vegas influence, I think. Uh, at 89, I'm still playing with a full deck. Uh, I just sh- shuffle slower. <laughs> well, you've got much more on the ball than I do. Uh, so questions, what, what's on your mind? What's on your hearts? I know you're not prepared for this. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Gary. To uh, Dr. Greg Harris's class yeah. of hermeneutics, and he posed a question. I think maybe the last day of class. Where in the Bible is the Davidic covenant um, ratified? Where is it ratified? Where is it ratified? Uh huh. Well, I'm so glad you opened up with something light. Uh, these people come into town from out of town, and they're having fun, and they, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I need to leave the room. No. Um, I mean, ultimately, I'm going to say that it was ratified just in, in the incarnation of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ. I mean, I think when you go back for, to the, the, Navid, I mean, the Davidic, or if you're going to talk about the Noahic, or if you're going to talk about the New Covenant, I think all of them, if that's what you're asking, find their final uh, uh, ratification in, in him. But is what are you talking about more specifically? Or asking more specific? Gary just, you know, Gary yeah, just play yeah. football, so he's used to running. <laughs> well, we, when he uh, moved back to North Carolina, we were... Uh, in communication, oh, Dr. and I gave okay. him uh, some answers. Uh, my first response was wrong. The second one I thought was right on. I, I said, "What did uh, he think?" <laughs> he never gave me the answer. That's Silence why I'm is golden. It. Okay, but I thought maybe it was the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, it's, but he said no to that. Well, when I'm thinking incarnation, I'm thinking his coming, his his death, his resurrection, the whole thing. So was that a good save? So, uh, uh, but that's what I meant. I mean, it's, it culminates in Him, in Christ. That's that's what ratifies every covenant. Is the fact that it has to be made good by God. And how did He make those covenants good? Is by the sacrifice of His Son. So sounds good to me. Yeah, well, I agree with you. Yeah, we're on the same page. I- anything else about the Davidic covenant? <laughs> Um, I just have a question regarding the same thing, but just because of just piggyback on that. Sure. Um, what about the millennium? Isn't that a ratification of David's covenant that his son would be on the throne forever? Well, you know, he comes to the throne in the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, but that, if, that even that isn't the eternal state yet. So he, you know, he, there's going to be the battle, and Armageddon will come, and they'll, which I always think is interesting that the people within the kingdom of God, and I think I spoke about this to someone after I taught last week, that the people who rise up out of the millennial kingdom to comprise the, the armies of Armageddon are, are actually in the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ on the throne. And they are listening to the king. Almost the most perfect situation you could ever think of, the most minimal amounts of sin and, and, and crime, and yet still they turn their hearts against him. So again, it's a work of God. It's being born from above. Um, but his his ultimate reign isn't until the new heavens and the new earth which is after the millennial kingdom so but again the main goal is yeah it's christ it's ratified in him at what point in history um that takes place is i guess in a sense up to how you phrase the question and what you mean by ratified but all things come to fruition and are held together like Colossians says by him and in that sense 
his, his coming, even his pre-existence, you know, even his pre-incarnate, um, when we were talking about today with Moses, you know, and he, we, uh, I wasn't talking about it, but Abner was talking about um, the burning bush. You know, that even is, that's a pre-incarnate uh, expression of Christ. So everything is held together by him, beginning of the Bible to the end. And so I would say, again, what ratifies it, what makes it right is him and whether you're talking about his incarnation his crucifixion his resurrection or his millennial kingdom rule or eternal rule it's still christ so yeah caesar i have a personal question (laughs) the smile on his face just told me everything he looks like he just ate canary okay it's a two it's a two questions first i know that it takes a lot to prepare a the sermons that, that you do. So my question is, if you're to preach everything that you're studying, it takes you more to study than to actually preach. So when you're studying, does it minister you more when you're alone or when you bring it out to the whole church? I mean, alone, honestly. I mean, uh, it's, two different, it's two different areas of, of life. One is the study part and the bringing it together part is actually what I call a labor of love in terms of it hurts. To me, at least personally, it hurts. It hurts to bring it together. It's like every time I have an opportunity to preach, I'm so excited because I want to preach. But then when you get into the process, like getting into the kitchen, if you will, it's that process of, first of all, making sure that you're right. That's the hardest part. I want to be If I pray any prayer before I come up, I usually pray, Lord, let them only remember what is true that I say, because I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not infallible. The word of God is, but I'm not. So, and then the second thing is, as I'm preparing, I I have really extended time of prayer, but it's a, it's a, it's a prayer of misery, if I can tell you that. Like, I'm just struggling, the burden is this right? Is this true? Or as I go, even in this sermon I was going to do today about growing in grace, you know, am I growing in grace? The confrontation personally of what you're, because this is what the Bible says, but then you have to deal with it. Um, but then when I present it to you all, again, my, my main goal is that I get lost in the message, that I'm not thinking about myself, um, that it's heard and well-received, and, that, and not well-received that you like it well received in terms of that it's it's taken in you know even abner i don't know if you guys were really really paying attention but that was pretty profound this morning and he um i didn't even know if i should say thank you or or excellent job because it was more than that you know he's talking about god in a way that is so transcendent that sometimes the greatest compliment a preacher can get is just that people's lives change and you don't always see that on Sunday morning. You don't get that. But that's the true thing, you know, to make sure that it's inserted and and properly, you know, that you feed on it. So, but I mean, I enjoy the act of preaching. Sometimes as I'm preaching, I actually, things become more clear. Like I studied, <laughs> I thought I got this. But then as I'm preaching, I'm going, wait a second. This is, this is, I have a, a newer, more clear perspective than I thought I would. Um, which is always exciting, you know, and then also humbling because you go back and you go, why didn't I see that before? As I'm preaching, things just come together. So, and, and, or they don't. <laughs> and is that what you're going to say, Anthony? I was going to say, does the opposite happen sometimes? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Especially like when you go to a verse and all of a sudden you go, turn to your Bibles and I'm going, I'm in the wrong verse and I'm going, that's bad. Or, uh, or because I manuscript everything. So, as I preach, Sometimes I'm feeling like I'm clear and I'm on, I'm on my, my path of trying to explain something and I turn the page and it's the wrong page. And I start to engage that. And you, you guys might not notice, but I feel like I'm like Ford and Ferrari, like I've just had to crash and burn. And then I'm trying to recover back from that and re-engage. So, you know. And sometimes that brokenness of grace, you know, you preach with grace and mercy. And I think Sometimes you're doing those studies, you get lost in the, just not lost because you're, you know, but in the word yeah. where you just kind of just the word of God ministers to you. And you, do you ever break like when you're kind of studying just the things that convict you? Or oh, yeah. Free? Oh, yeah. That's why I say it's hard because it would be different if I was studying a perfect word with a perfect person. But I'm not perfect. And so the perfect word slays and cuts deep and gorges. And um, 
but it's a, it's a blessing. It's just like everything. It's everything in, in the Bible and scriptures. When you're gazing into this, there's a part of us, at least I feel this way, when I'm going into the scripture, like Moses going before the burning bush, you, you do uh, do it hesitatingly. Um, it was funny. My son was helping me this morning. Pastor John made a last call uh, to, he was going to do the um, opening, but I was going to do the opening first. And so his secretary said, Tom, can you do the opening? And I said, sure. So as I'm driving here, Josiah's in the car with me. I'm saying, hey, uh, look up this verse for me. I want to read the whole context here. And, and as I was doing that, or as he was doing that, he said, Dad, I can't. My, my, he, my hand's shaking in the truck. It's hard to turn the pages. And I'm thinking, shouldn't our hands always be shaking when we're like with the Bible? Shouldn't that just be a normal expression of, you know, I have a lot of these. I have, a, you know, too many probably. Um, but they all are not to be held with kind of a triviality or something light. It's, it's weighty. In fact, when I grew up, I think I've told you this, if I put my phone on top of my Bible like that, my father would not like it. He would not accept it. You don't put any. And so I'm still that way. Even at home, we've got our you know, little books or stuff, whatever else we might have. And when I see the boys have laid their, their notebook on top of the Bible, it's just instinctual for me. Just to, and it's not superstition. It's just respect. You know, so... Um, but yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I, I do grapple as anybody should. It's worship, but at the same time, even what he was saying about fearing God, which was so profound to me, he said, we understand fear, we just don't understand God. I thought that was really insightful, and I think that that's what you come to when you study, is you, you know how to study. I mean, I went to seminary, but it's when you grapple with the truth of it that makes you, in some ways, scared. Because we're talking about eternal things. I don't know if you ever think about it, but this is heaven or hell. This is, this is not light stuff. We come here and we laugh sometimes. We have fun. But deep down inside, it's, it's, it's a scary thing because we're talking about something that either condemns forever or forgives forever. forever. So I hope that helped. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> How can we reconcile God's sovereignty with the idea of human responsibility and free will? Well, first of all, I really like your hat. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's called avoiding. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, that's, that's one of those questions. When I was last summer, we were doing Ranger Joe, and we had a big day where all the kids got to come up afterwards live, and they were asking Pastor John a lot of questions. And he left, and uh, the character that plays Bobby, he left. So it was just me and the kids there for a while, and they formed a line at Ranger Joe. And so now it's the Bible answer man, you know, for all these little kids. And their constant question was basically that question. Because how can there be, for instance, they phrased it this way, and it wasn't exactly in this form, but the through line for everything was, how can God be good and still allow sin in the world? That was a question that our little ones have on their hearts a lot. Uh, but the other question was, uh, basically what you're saying, how can God be, if I can rephrase it, sovereign, and yet at the same time, how can we be responsible uh, for our lives? The, the, <laughs> the answer to that is, I mean, I don't know how to reconcile it. I, I, know it's, I know it's written that way. I know that's exactly, John MacArthur's famous answer would be, um, you, know, who, who's, uh, you know, whose life... How does he say that? Whose life is, uh, uh, do you live with, by? Do you live by your life or Christ's life? Because, you know, um, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. He said, Paul didn't know either. <laughs> is it Christ? Is it me? Is it me? Is it Christ? So he's been crucified, but I've been crucified with him. So I live in him and he lives in me. Um, to put it a different way, I think that uh, God's sovereignty, and at least in my mind, doesn't distract me at all from my responsibility. God's sovereignty, even in evangelism, which is usually where people have the big question, doesn't confuse me at all for some reason. I don't know. I just know he's sovereign. He's in control of all things, and yet I'm fully responsible for my life, and I know that I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians. But then it says, for it's God. Who's working? So I need to work out what I have to do, my salvation, meaning my sanctification. But God is the one that's doing the work. So if I ever focus, and this is the way my mind works, if I ever focus too much on, well, God's in control, then I start to slack 
in my sanctification. And if I ever think that, you know, I'm in control, I am, I am now, I'm, a great, I'm growing in grace better than I ever have before, then I've, I've lost sight that it's not me but Christ in me. So the answer is what Spurgeon famously said, which was, uh, how do you reconcile election and God's sovereignty? And he said, you don't have to reconcile friends. In other words, they're friends. They don't need to be reconciled. He also said, no, you don't have a way of, with, sovereign, with um, evangelism, there's no way you can like, to open someone's shirt and see if they have an E for election painted on their chest. So we keep evangelizing even, if we know, even though we know God is the one that's going to do the work. So this is what I love about the Bible. Even today, what Abner showed, which I thought was profound, where uh, God does not change his mind. God does not change his mind uh, in, in the verses. But then he says he did change his mind. He did change his mind. So the Bible has no qualms about just stating it the way it is and then having us grapple for understanding. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We're, we don't reconcile those things easily because you're supposed to look deeply and think hard and try to, uh, try to wrestle with things that the Scripture doesn't wrestle with. The Scripture just states that this is the way it is because it's eternal and because they're uh, supernatural truths. We're the ones that have to go, what does that mean? I think, I think that's why, and you know, if you're doing this, I, I'm not against it, but I think reading through the Bible in a year sometimes can have some traps. I've done it. I've done it more than a few times because you go quickly and you're trying to read through it. And I, I really love in the back of my Bible to check off that little box, you know, did that one, did that. Did you do that one? I did that one. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that I grasped it. And that doesn't mean that it meant anything. In fact, I've probably, um, people always joke around this about this, but I've probably profited from expositing one verse more than one chapter. Just because it like it strikes me harder, uh, I still have to understand the context of the chapter. So all that to say, some of these things are not to be reconciled and probably cannot be reconciled. And I don't know what the answer is, except I know that Scripture says both things are true side by side. And I think that's also why they call it faith, because it's by faith that I believe. By faith I believe that you're welcome. <laughs> Oh, no. Don't give it to Anthony. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> hey, Lily. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for your grace and patience. Uh, oh. Jeremiah 3, 14, saying that uh, God gave Israel a certificate of divorce mm. because of the immorality, abandonment, and what else? Uh, well, you know that chapter. Yeah, yeah. And you probably know why I'm asking you. Oh, no. I have no idea. <laughs> but, uh, no, I do. In other words, what Lily's asking is, if God, and it's kind of related actually to the other question, and that is, if God divorced Israel, um, then why does God hate divorce? So Malachi says God hates divorce, which he does. But why did God divorce? Well, first of all, he divorced them because of adultery, spiritual adultery. And adultery has always been, uh, whether it be from the Lord Jesus Christ speaking about it or Paul talking about abandonment later, it's always been understood that once there's a break that that can happen. But you also have Hosea where even though there's been a break, a divorce, if you will, there's also restoration and forgiveness and seeking after the other person. So... And I really, I really am thankful for doing the Q&A after Abner Chow preaches because what he said today was very helpful. And that was in the sense that, you know, we may not be able to reconcile those things, and yet they are laid out truly. So in one area, you have to think, well, I'm not God, and therefore even when God says he's jealous, I don't understand a holy jealousy myself, but I know that his jealousy is pure. So when I read God is jealous, my first reaction should be, what? And then my second reaction is, oh, it's not that kind of jealousy then. So in the same way, does that make sense? So in the same way, when I'm reading God divorced Israel, obviously it's a pure divorce. It's like what we read in Ephesians the other week, um, be angry and yet do not sin. So you can be angry and not sin. So again, God has permitted himself to divorce Israel because of their spiritual adulteries. And yet at the same time, and that principle still applies to us as humans, that he allows divorce. He doesn't, he doesn't demand it, but he permits it for purposes of adultery or abandonment. 
That would be 1 Corinthians 7. Is that kind of where you were going? <laughs> we're going to have a meeting afterwards anyway. Okay, we'll talk. <laughs> Thank you for your comment. Uh, appreciate that. I promise to keep it long. Uh, <laughs> now, um, I have a friend that I've been witnessing to for six or seven years that we've been golfing with. And it started off six, seven years ago, the first time I ever brought up Christ to him. He was like, everyone can believe what they want to believe. You know, let's rather not talk about it. And so we didn't for years, and we've just become good friends. I met him on the golf course. He's become a client of mine. He's seen me. And he, he then started asking questions years later. Mm. And in recent months, he's basically said, he's asked me half a dozen times, how do I become a Christian? You know, what do I do? Um, and I've given him the Bible. He's read the, the, the New Testament. Uh, he's read other things I've given to him. Any sermon I send him, I've sent it to him. I've sent him tons. So he's, he, he, the, one of the last conversations, he was like, I'm this close. I'm this close. Okay. And, and basically, he, uh, when, when I go through the, the layout, you know, are you a sinner? Yeah, 100%. Have you repented? 100%. Christ died for your sin? 100%. Yes. Uh, now you have to make Christ the Lord of your life and follow him. He goes, that's kind of where I'm having some issues. You know, I mean, I'm not no. there yet. And the question is that one of my other Christian friends who I was golfing with, when we were having this kind of this triune conversation, he said, well, you might even be a Christian and not even know it. And that kind of struck me, and I kind of said, well, you know, I look at my life, and I grew up in the church, and I don't know when I became a Christian. So there was some point in time that I was a Christian and didn't know it. But I started thinking about that deeper. You know, can you be a Christian in that, and, and not know it? And I, and I think the answer is no, but I'd love to get your take on that. I agree with you. Next question. Uh, <laughs> No, no, no. Um, I know enough to know when I don't know enough. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a very profound thing. And the reason I say that is because there's a, a man in his 90s that I've been ministering to or, or coming to his house. I met him at a memorial service here. His wife is a believer, a dear, dear woman uh, who's a member here. And he is a, um, a very famous xylophone player back in the days that he traveled with. Frank Sinatra, and just been everywhere, done everything. And um, he gave me his, his autobiography uh, that's uh, pretty, pretty cool. He said, I want to believe, I just can't. And that kind of struck me. He comes from a Jewish background. And uh, so I've talked to him. His wife now has cancer, so he's even more concerned about being without her and wanting to be with her. But he just says, I just... You know, he just has this block. And in fact, I mentioned this to John MacArthur yesterday because he knows the guy. And, um, and John goes, yes. He goes, that's been a very long time. But so first of all, we're born from above, right? We know that. So no work of my persuasion or what's the relationship between my ability to persuade or present information is connected to salvation. I, I don't know. It goes back to this kind of interesting issue of, you know, God is sovereign, and yet I'm called to witness, and yet I know that if they come to salvation, it's not because of my witness, but it's because of God using whatever means he wanted, in this case, perhaps you or me. Um, the second thing is, I think, that um, it's really wise, I think, to not have uh, continued to share with him when he didn't want you to share. I think that's the pearls before swine kind of concept, and so I think that's wise, and then having a relationship with them, especially... Um, you know, a, a kind of a guy thing like golf is is excellent. And then, again, the Lord brought his attention back, and I think that was very wise of you. So what do you do in a situation like that? Well, first of all, and I know you're doing this, but you pray. And I, I just think sometimes we forget to pray. I think we... I had a guy discipling me, and uh, he would sit, and I'd come to him with whatever issue, and he would go, have you prayed about it? And I'd go, well, no. And he goes, well, pray about it first. And then I'd have another problem, and he, I'd come to him, I'd go, you know, can you, hey, he goes, have you prayed about it? And I'd go, no. He goes, well, pray about it first. So I stopped coming to him. <laughs> because I kind of, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, have you prayed about it? And I haven't prayed about it, so I'm going to pray about it. So I think if, if that's, and I'm a pretty normal guy, I think if that's a normal thing for most people. You do not receive because you do not ask. I think that that first and foremost is to pray. And just know that, 
I mean, I don't know what the angle is that he's not saying. When you said, make Jesus your Lord, well, you don't make Jesus your Lord. He is Lord. You have to recognize him as such. So, you know, maybe that's something that he's grappling with. You don't, you know, you don't make God God. You recognize God as God. And even in the recognition of that, it has to be a work of the Spirit. You know, it says, in, and I've said this so many times, Second Timothy 2 uh, the Lord's bondservant must be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition to the truth, that God may grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they might escape the snare of the devil being held captive by him. So God has to grant the repentance. God has to, you have to acknowledge he's in the snare of the devil, though he may not even think that. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a, it's a spiritual awakening. Now, a few things. Tell him I'll call him back. Uh, 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 another thing would be when you say, can you be a Christian and not know it? Um, I, I don't know how that works. I know to phrase it differently, if you're in the Mormon church, is it possible that you're a Christian in a Mormon church? Well, if you don't believe the Mor- what Mormons teach, you could be a Christian. If, you know, can you be a Catholic uh, and be a Christian? Well, you could go to the Catholic church, but you don't believe what they believe about Mary being sinless and Mary being uh, the immaculate conception to them, meaning that Mary uh, is, you know, co-redemptious or however you say that word. So it is possible that people could be saved in a false system and believe they're Christians but not know that the system that they're in is wrong. I I think that's possible. Uh, But to say we open up a can of worms when we say, can you know that you're, uh, can you be a Christian not know it? Well, first of all, and, sorry, Anthony, but like, how? What do we really mean by that? Do we mean that I'm a I'm a Christian because I love Christ, which is key word there, love. That I I love the scriptures, that I feel the weight of my sin upon me, and that I want to be that which I am not in every part of my life. I want to be closer to Him. I want to be more like Him. I want to be um, holding the scriptures tighter to my heart. Now, can I? If, if, if I'm stumbling, if that's his issue, if the Lord's not his master in the sense that he, he's grappling with some kind of uh, sin in his life, then that's a whole different issue. Can you, can you be a Christian and be grappling with sin? Yes, 1 Corinthians, the whole book. Uh, can you be a Christian and be uh, in sin and, not let, and it doesn't bother you? impossible I, I, unless you're I mean your conscience would be, have to be so seared so if he's saying I, I believe the things that you say Anthony but what I don't know is if I have the capability of living the Christian life that's different than saying I don't want to live the Christian life so you, you know what I'm saying the, the subtleties of that so I think the big question that you have to ask him is and it was asked me are you willing to give up your life are you willing to no longer live for you? And if he says no, well, then he's not a believer. I'm not saying he's going to start to live perfectly, but if he's, if he's not willing to, um, and again, I'm not saying that there's so much uh, escapability here where you can go, well, as long as you want to, you're in the kingdom. I'm saying that you have to examine your own heart to see if you're in the faith. You have to really grapple with, are the desires of my heart that I am not able to fulfill in terms of God's desires for my heart, are those things uh, near me and I want them and yet I just fall and I fall and I fall? Or uh, I know that a Christian could sin and therefore I'm going to let this go and continue to pursue this path of immorality or whatever it might be. So I think you have to really look at him. And this is what I say all the time to people. In fact, just the other day, I said, you know, I don't know if you're a Christian. I, I can't tell. And you know, every time I've said that to people, like, privately, not in a big room like this, even though I'll tell you a funny thing. Uh, people go, you know what? I don't know either. I've never had anybody go, well, who are you? Never. And they've always go, I don't know either. And I go, so like, wouldn't it be good to know? You know, what is a Christian? I don't know. I go, would it be fair to say a Christian acts like a Christian? I never thought about it before. Honest, true, true conversation. Well, I never thought about it before. Well, it's a good thing to think about, right? Because it doesn't matter what I say. And in fact, I just heard in the prayer room, Terry Spears was counseling a guy. And it was so great. And I love Terry. And Terry was saying, as I was just getting a water and walking back, he said to the guy, he goes, look, don't answer my questions according to what you want me to hear. 
Don't, don't, don't say what you want me to. Don't say to me what you, I, you think I want you to say. What is the truth? What is really in your heart? I think that's where we have to get down to brass tacks with that guy and go, and then I'm done. Looks like you're going to ask another one. Is, uh, is I think you've got to get to the point where you say, um, are you, or do you understand that we're playing for keeps here? You know, do you understand that this is not just a philosophical, moral kind of turning of your life? Do you understand that, a, you know, a friend of ours just died the other day, and he had a hernia operation, and now he's in heaven. But at that moment when your life is taken from you, and there is that flash, are you going to be holding the hand of Christ, or are you going to be in peril? And, you know, you can fool yourself all you want to, because people say... You know, man, we got a big family over there. I just noticed you guys. Uh, uh, people say all the time, you know, Matthew 7 is the scariest section of the Bible. You know, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and perform many miracles? And I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there's a, a conscious kind of, I never, I'm yours, I belong to you. Uh, you know, I did a lot of things. And then Jesus says, but I don't know you because somehow, some way, you disconnected yourself from the fact that you're walking in lawlessness. You, 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 I mean, I don't think they're fooling them, uh, him. I don't think they're going, hey, Jesus, can you count us in? I think they really were self-deceived. And again, it's a story that the Lord made up, but I think that that shows more and more why you got to go to people. And if you're going to really talk to them, you got to really talk to them, as I'm sure you do, because there's a lot of time on the golf course. I don't really play golf, but I'd love to... Have you take me to I don't really play club. golf either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at it, too. I'm like the, the opposite of what a pastor should be. You know, you play golf? Not really. Oh, did you go to seminary? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, did that help? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think you hit the nail on the head. Because okay. last, the very last conversation I had with him, at one point I said, look, you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. Matter of fact, you can't be perfect to mm. be a Christian. And it was at that moment that he said, you can't, you're not. Yep. And it kind of like, that's the direction, not the perfection is what I had explained as we've heard before. And, yep. and that kind of seemed to click like, okay, I don't have to be perfect. So I don't know, but thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that, um, I was talking to a Roman Catholic friend of mine years ago and I said, um, you know, your faith doesn't save you. Or excuse me, I said that your works and faith don't save you. It's, it's faith that produces works. She'd never heard that. And she was like, what? And I said, no, your works can't save you. And she's a good Catholic woman and uh, totally thrown by that. And we've had conversations over the years, but just that one thing that we take for granted, you know, you, you can't deserve heaven. I don't even think, I never thought that, just so you know, you know, with me, I've thought a lot of wrong things about the Bible. I never thought I could earn my own salvation. You know, I just felt like I was God. <laughs> so you don't have to earn something because I'm, I'm just evolved into the eternal being myself, you know. So I never had to wrestle with, you know, being good because I'm just, that's who I am, you know. So, <laughs> so when I found out sin was sin, it wrecked my world, you know. And then when they said Jesus was God and I wasn't, that was, that was hard to swallow. But you are who you are. Everywhere you go, there you are. Yeah. Hi. You touched on this when you answered the first question, but maybe you can elaborate more on Philippians 2.13, yeah. which is, for it is God who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yeah. Well, again, to go back to the context of what Paul's saying there, and that's one of my uh, favorite portions of Scripture just because it's powerful and because, again, it puts into contrast these two seemingly opposing ideas that really are not opposing, you know, in terms of the way that we're to think about our own life. Um, before, I, before I get down into the specifics of it, though, you know, Paul is speaking from a place of prison, you know that, you know, in Philippi, and he is uh, supposedly chained to another um, man who is a pectorian guard or, or a man of that kind of situation. And so... The fact that he is writing this and saying this in that, situ in that particular uh, context is, I think, pretty amazing. Um, when he says that he's working out his salvation with fear and trembling, uh, that goes back to my comment about Josiah today, even opening the Bible. 
He is, why is he working out his salvation with fear and trembling? Why is he walking in the way he is, even though he's imprisoned? Because he knows that God is the one that's working through him. He knows that everything that he's doing and every action and kind of what people would say, what a great martyr, that all of that is being fueled by the fact that the God of the universe, whom he rejected at one time, whom he was actually murdering the people who believed in his son at one time, now that same God is fueling him to acts of extreme uh, righteousness and, and, and sacrifice and that made him tremble. That, that I did didn't, for some reason, make him feel even more confident. He was working out his salvation because he knows that God's the one that's fueling the, the progress. He's the one that's making it happen, if you will. So I think Paul gives us in that example just the idea that it's not just because like I'm working out my salvation and therefore... I'm good to go. And it's not that, you know, God is doing all the work in me and I have no bear or responsibility on it. It's, it's the fact that as I see good things happen in my life, not good things in terms of my circumstances, but me producing good works. When I see good works being produced in my life, I know me and I know that couldn't happen through me. I know that that couldn't happen because of me. I have a very clear view of my own depravity, and Paul did. He said he was the chief of sinners, so he was beyond all. And yet he saw that when he was doing what he was doing, that he was being able to sing in prison and praising God with the others. And even though people were against him, he was saying it doesn't matter as long as the gospel is proclaimed. That Paul's main focus was the God of the universe, the same God that we heard extolled this morning, is the one who's doing that. And so it's making me... It's making me tremble. It goes back to the same idea that Paul has in uh, repentance. God grants him the repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So everything that I do, everything that I am, everything except my sin is being produced in me by God. And that makes me tremble, which makes me go back to the idea of do we tremble? And I don't think that's a common expression that we use anymore. But are we overwhelmed with the idea that that these things are holy and these things are, are right and just. And I am, I'm just, I'm a nobody. I'm, I mean, I'm going to live and die and, and, and someone else is going to fill my space and not even fill my space. They're not even going to remember I was here. Uh, and, and I'm thinking about my life as if this is some kind of treasure and some kind of, you know, trophy. No, the trophy is the Christ that I adore. The trophy will be a crown that I'm just going to cast right back at him. My, my visitation here is short, as we all know, and growing shorter all the time, which you know is more hope for the future glory because that's all we have. And knowing that the fact that I'm still even a sustained in my faith as a believer, the perseverance of the saints, that it's because of God. Because otherwise, and I don't mean to say this in a kind of weird way, I'd be gone. The cord would be cut. I'm, I'm out of here. God keeps me. And it's not because, you know, I, I love God and his commandments are not a burden, but, but the temptation and the work of life and trying to keep yourself righteous, I mean, why would, you, why would you remain in this if it wasn't God propelling you to do that? Does that make sense or does that sound odd? So, you know, so I, I feel like when the struggle is real, you have to remember God's working through me. And if you ever start to think, I'm just such a patient, understanding, humble, uh, you know, uh, person. I saw a T-shirt. I'm not going to get it, but I liked it. It said, be humble or be humbled. And I thought, yeah, that's true. Either you're going to be, you don't become humble. You get humbled, as we learned uh, in Peter. So does that answer the question? Okay. We only have one more. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this went way too fast. I could. Um, I, I need to do this more often. It's so much better than twenty hours on my sermon. So. <laughs> no, I, I I do love preparing. It's just. Yeah. Oh, right here. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, <laughs> I Kevin, were, I thought they gave him the there. microphone. Okay. Um, I know I'm supposed to pray, you know, to God the Father, um, through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Is it um, okay or even appropriate at times to pray directly to Christ or directly to the Holy Spirit? And if so, should it be done just occasionally or sparingly? You know, 
that's a great question, and I I am so um, I'm thankful for that. So here's here's what I I always almost always because like even when I pray in front of the congregation, I try to make sure that that I'm when I'm praying to the Father that I don't just talk about Jesus. I talk about His Son. I try to keep the terminology very clear in my mind so I know who I'm speaking to and which person of the Trinity I'm speaking to, and yet. And that might just be, you know, me. When they were stoning Stephen in Acts 7, they went on stoning Stephen, and he was calling out saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So he didn't have a problem going right to Christ, praying right to Christ, you know. He didn't say, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, receive my spirit. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Um, We also know that you really don't hear. In fact, a lady asked me uh, this last year, can you pray to the Holy Spirit directly? And I said, well, I don't see why you couldn't. I mean, he's God. It's what the Bible tells us. And therefore, sometimes I would just encourage you. And I don't do it often, but it's just out of habit. That sometimes, in fact, it was just, uh, I think it was. It was just last week I prayed that way. I said, Spirit of God. That's how I opened my prayer. And I am thinking about the Spirit of God. And when I'm thinking about him and my prayer, I'm thinking about the need for divine influence assistance because he's the one that regenerates and he's the one that opens my eyes so i want more that i can see more clearly that i can understand or or draw to him more dearly when i pray to christ directly i don't know if this helps and please know this is just me uh, i'm thinking more of of my forgiveness at the cross I'm, i'm just focusing on the fact that he gave his life for me that he sacrificed and then when i think of when i pray to the father which is 99% of the time. Uh, I pray to the Father because I just know that that's the pattern of Scripture, and I don't want to, you know, this is, what I te- this is what I tell your friend, too. It's like, you know, you would sit there and say, and when I'm really in heartache, I will sit there and say, I will go through the whole Trinity. I'll sit there and go, Father God, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who represents himself fully in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the only Savior. I go through the whole description of who he is because that's who I'm talking to. And I want to make sure that I am as biblical as I can be when I speak to him. But that being said, save me, Lord Jesus, is also biblical as well. The greatest or the first real martyr in Scripture did that way. So yeah, I wouldn't personally, I, the answer is yes. Uh, biblically, the answer is yes, and it, yet still I tend to pray to the Father because of the right. Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, which is the model. And even the fact, you know, John MacArthur one time years ago was talking about um, Islam, and he was talking about Allah, and he said, Allah is not Yahweh, but back in those days we weren't saying Yahweh as much, and so he would say, yeah, uh, Allah is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have, even for the Jews, if you have the Father, but you don't have him as the Lord of our, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't have God. So those distinctions are, you know, that's how I live. That's the, that's my God. And even when people say a God, you know, uh, that's not the true, that's not your God. No, it's not the true God. There's only one God. All the other gods are just demons. So. Sure. Shelly? Not technical at all. Just oh, good. <laughs> no, I mean, I did, like I said, I went to seminary. It just took me 10 years. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, just a quick update about Ranger Joe, if he's going to be here for VBS. Oh, you're so funny. I was just asked that today, too. Uh, some gal in the second row sticks a you know, phone in my face and says, tell us about Ranger Joe. And I'm like going, <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. I mean, well, first of all, you know, and this will take very little time. You know, um, one of the elders here um, came up to me and said just this last week, he said, because I'm preparing for VBS and I'm going to be not Ranger Joe, I'm going to be Joe Cousteau. Instead of Jacques Cousteau, Joe Cousteau. But anyway, um, (laughs) so I get to wear a little beanie and talk with a French accent or something like that. Uh, But I don't have the script yet, so they're killing me. But um, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. To me, because ministry is hard. I mean, I'm going to minister to people even today. It's just hard. It's hard because sin is alive and well, and people are 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 just messy. It's messy. But not Ranger Joe. No. Ranger Joe is like, 
it's, and I've said this before, but when you have anybody about this tall or shorter in this church, if I see them, I wave and they know who I am. They just wave back. <laughs> if they're taller, not so much. But, but one time I was at uh, Stonefire, and I was getting some food, and there was a family over there, and they had some children, and I walked by, and I did one of these, and then I realized I wasn't at Grace Church. What am I doing? <laughs> Pulling the hand back, they're scooting their kids closer, you know. <laughs> Who is that dude, you know? I'm Ranger, oh, no. <laughs> I'm Ranger, whoa, instead of Ranger. So, um, I just, you know, you can pray about this, and this is not to be shared outside of this, of course, this is, hopefully we won't record any of this, but uh, I was talking to Abner Chow about this, and I said, I need to talk to you this week. We need a production studio. We need to share the Master Seminary, the Master's University, and Grace Community Church. We need to buy a studio so that we can have productions because we don't have the space. And, and he, goes, he goes, I think that's a good idea. So pray that Abner's heart is softened towards me. Uh, but I think it's great So because that's the only thing that holds us back is just uh, production space. And so we, they plan on doing it. They're writing the scripts now, but we just don't have the space to do it yet, so we'll see. We'll pray that someone would donate it and just provide it for Well, us. we have people that want to donate. We have people who have come to me and said um, they have uh, – this is, you know, again, I know church is over. But um, they've come up to me and said, hey, Pastor, uh, we, we have some money. We want to invest it. And I said, well, that sounds great. We're thinking about something like Ranger Joe, but we're not sure Ranger Joe. Maybe it's for older kids, which I've tried to change their mind about that. And they said, so we'll have a few hundred thousand dollars we can put down now, and we can only go up to um, a few million. That's it. And, <laughs> and I'm going like, well, let me pray about that. Okay. <laughs> so, I, but they, they're having issues with now they have to go through this whole kind of a, maybe Anthony can help them. Actually, they need to... Um, a living trust to be done and everything before they, you know, they don't want their kids to steal their money. But uh, so there are people that want to give. There's a lot of people, but you have to get them all in the same room at the same time, make it happen. So pray for me because that's something that I'm, um, I'm, I would love to happen. And it's not just Ranger Joe because this whole world, if you guys have noticed it, um, it's all media. Everything is media. So it doesn't matter if you're a business, if you're a church, whatever. You have to be able, I know, here I go. I'm just, you have to have media. Yes. Amen. All right, have a great afternoon, guys. <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, one more. All right. One more, if you don't mind. We're not done. You're so kind. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask if it's okay to preach to friends because I have a friend that is she's um her cultures is like way different Mm. and I like to preach to her but I don't want to feel like I'm being like disrespectful or trying to be like like more control of what's your name Hazel Hazel I think that's a great question and the reason first of all God bless your heart that as a young person you want to preach the gospel. And that not only do you want to preach the gospel, but you want to be sensitive to other people. That's just a really... Sometimes people have zeal, meaning they have a lot of passion to do it, but they, they're insensitive to other people. Or they're so sensitive to other people that they never want to preach the gospel because they're scared they're going to be rejected or made fun of or bullied or something. Um, I think the answer is you have to play it one moment at a time. What do I mean by that? You know, you, 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 you make a, I don't know who your friend is, but for instance, like I'd say, do you ever go to, where do you go to church? They go to church here. She's what? Oh, she's a Hindu. Okay. So it's just great to sit there and first maybe, you know, first of all, the answer is yes, preach. The second thing is, but when I say preach, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about, uh, uh, and this morning we had a little, do you understand the word Hindu and what that means? You know, it's like that's not the kind of preaching. So it's more of like just evangelism. Um, but, look, I was a New Ager before. So I believed in New Age, kind of a Hindu kind of Eastern philosophy. And so you just have to start to ask them, first of all, do they even understand what they believe? You know, so what, what, what is a Hindu? Help me understand. They'll be mostly open to talking about themselves. And then when you start to unpack that, well, we believe that there's different 
you know, do you believe, uh, um, in, you know, once one way to heaven? No, I think there's different gods. Or well, how did, what is the source of that? And they might talk about some kind of ancient Eastern manuscript that they use. But you, then you start to say, you know, that's not what the Bible says. You know, and not to, not to put them down, but just to sit there and go, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says there's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is the Creator, who is God. He came to earth as God, and they might go, well, how do you know that? And you go, well, because it says it in the Bible. Um, and there's a lot of other things you can tell them, because then they'll say, well, what's the difference between your word being any different than my word? Um, and you might sit there and say, well, it's actually had more uh, proof of the tr- being truthful. In fact, in fact, I'm going to give you a little bit of what I was going to tell you today. <laughs> I have actually that is in my sermon, so I'm going to kind of uh, cover it, making sure that I say it. I put key. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, I can't even grow it. Increase. Yeah, I have that same thing. It was just a really good quote. Um, so what would I do? I'd, t- I'd tell her. I'd say, look, if she starts to back off, if she starts to get uncomfortable, then you back off. If she's like, like you know, I don't want to talk about this anymore, sit there and go, okay, but I'm praying for you. And then just see what happens. Is she at school? Oh, your neighbor. Okay. Is she a nice person? Okay. So all you have to do is be nice back and just sit there and go, do you want to talk about the Bible again? Do you want to talk about, can I, can I tell you a little bit about what I just learned today in church? I think it's not that you don't preach. I think it's just finding the opportunities and how to do it, do you know, and make it as normal and natural as you possibly can. So it, it shouldn't be, look, here's the truth. The truth is she's a, she's, she's a child of the devil, as sweet as she is. And it's also true that at this point, she's hellbound, as sweet as she is. But you don't maybe say that up front. You sit there and say, people who don't believe are, are destined toward hell. And I don't even know if that would be the angle for me personally. I would sit there and go, the one who made you and who created you, uh, owe, you owe your worship to. You owe them to worship. You know, he, he created you, and yet you're not believing on him. And, and that's, that's unbelief is a sin. That's what sends people to hell is unbelief. It's not their horrible way of living. That's accounted to them. But it's because of their unbelief in Jesus Christ. So she needs to believe that or be led toward the belief that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and that he's the only one that can forgive sin. And she has sin. And as sweet as she is, we all have sin. You know, Anthony doesn't remember when he became a Christian. I do. I remember that big transition because there's a lot of stuff in my life that is not there anymore, and something had to happen to forgive it, you know? At her age, it might just be lying to her parents. At her age, it might be cheating. Cheating is a big one. Uh, But you have to address she's a sinner, she needs a savior, and there's only one. And then, of course, what happens if I just say, I don't believe in him, I'll just accept my sin? No, but that's eternal damnation. That's lostness forever. Okay? Good. Excellent question. All right. Have a wonderful day, guys. Bye-bye.